Well, uh, I'll tell you, a lot of what we do is consultation. So we have a half hour review, just like uh, you sent the case over. We'll review the case. We'll look for these potential defenses and gray areas and negotiating points and put just give them our analysis. And, and you know, we're, we're happy to handle the case. But in many cases, I tell clients, you could probably settle for less than you can hire me, um, you know, just depending on the, the facts of your case. So, um, you know, give it some thought, you know, but we do we do offer a full service. If, you know, we have seen five and ten thousand dollar demands and I think probably even higher. But, um, you know, for those kinds of cases or cases where you say, look, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be sending emails back and forth. Um, I want to, you know, I don't want to deal with the settlement agreement. I don't want to deal with all this. That's, you know, where that's where people will hire us as well. So, but, but yeah, they are typically negotiable. It's very rare. I would say that it, that it's not. Um, but uh, again, always depends on the facts. And sometimes the dollars and cents matter. So we have yet another physician client who received a letter always on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock, correct? Friday <laughs> afternoon, five o'clock. And um, it said that your uh, Instagram ac account has two photos of a, of a special or offer that you have. And those are our two patients on our Instagram, meaning that you swiped two of our Instagram photos and you're using them. And here they weren't looking for 2,300 bucks. They were looking for $50,000. So that made for an ugly yeah, yeah. weekend. But I mean, it's interesting just to see the range of dollar values attributed to copyright infringement. Sometimes I just scratch my head wondering where these numbers even came from. But that's your world. I mean, you probably see the whole gamut of values thrown out there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, sometimes you'll see... Um, I'm not saying Higby, but just we deal with a lot of different um, rights enforcers, I would call them. But, you know, some of them do shock value. Uh, they come out and hit you with 50,000. So maybe you'll be happy with five. You know what I mean? So they'll it, it really is. A, there's a lot of things. Like I said, we we look at the, the firms we're dealing with. We look up the photographer. Has a photographer filed any lawsuits? You can go to Pacer, federal Pacer and check that out. Mm -hmm. If they're very litigious, there are a few. I don't want to name, but there are a few that are very litigious. And, um, you know, a $50,000 demand is just kind of the MO of, of how they go about it. And I call it shock value. And uh, But, you know, like I said, at, at the end of the day, you, you analyze the facts and good chance you'll be able to get that down, uh, hopefully significantly in a case like that. But depends, uh, you know, depends how you're using the photo. and. You know, one of the things that was interesting um, in advance of our um, speaking today, I dusted off the cobwebs from one of the cyber liability insurance policies. Well, I only have one, but a cyber liability insurance policy that I have just to see whether copyright infringement is covered. And apparently it is, which was a pleasant surprise uh, for me. It's a it's a subset of cyber liability. Most healthcare providers who are listening to this purchase cyber liability coverage to deal with um, HIPAA infringement um, or breaches to their information technology, um, ransomware. I mean, those are the big buckets, but there's also a subcategory dealing with media and the media protection 
include some element of intellectual property uh, infringement. Um, now I'm, I'm certain if I did a deep dive into the policy, there are probably a number of exclusions. So I shouldn't get too comfortable, but it, it is interesting to know that there, there certainly are some insurance policies that, that will cover those allegations. Has that been your experience also? Yeah, um, that's that's a very good point. And some plaintiff attorneys, that's the first thing they ask. And and I would say that's why we've dealt with a lot of real estate companies because they've assumed they're going to have some kind of insurance coverage to cover it. Uh, many times they don't, but yes, if you have the proper policy, it could be covered. So the plaintiff attorneys are always asking, you know, are they insured? Did you tender it to their insurance company? Um, but um, in some cases. Yeah, in like a media perils or um, advertising injury is one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. If you're aver- using a photo for advertisement purposes, that may be covered. So I usually tell my clients, check with your broker. Uh, I, I would always ask for a copy of the policy. Mm-hmm. It can be confusing to read. Um, there are her lawyers that specialize in insurance uh, coverage letters, uh, which is not me, but you can you can check it out and. You know, I'll just say do like a control F search for copyright or control F intellectual property or control F advertising injury and see if you have anything in there. Um, that's a quick way to, to take a look. But um, yeah, certainly if you have, now you've got to decide uh, if you're talking about, let's say you're talking about a $500 settlement. Right. Do you want do you have a deductible? Do you want to go that route or do you want to just pay it, you know? So your insurance doesn't go up. So you get, so those there's a lot of factors to consider in, in going that route, but it's definitely something to look at, especially in the bigger cases. So, so Steve, um, one other, I guess, broad question I have, and this is for our listeners. Most people we work with have their own websites, they have their own webmaster, and they've got a gazillion pieces of content on there. A lot of the content is put there by their webmaster, meaning that they're hiring webmasters or marketing companies to fill some of the pages with original content. Um, After this conversation, I guess the first question the listeners should have is, is this all original content or am I allowed to use material I did not create on my own? In other words, how would I do an audit? How would I be able to get um, assurances that everything that's placed on my website is clean and not going to end up with a letter from one of these organizations? That is a good question. Um, I really don't know a way to do it other than just a manual um, review and making sure that that you know, I'll give you an example. I had a real estate agent that literally the whole, almost the whole website was infringed photos. Um, <laughs> they had a webmaster. The webmaster just grabbed anything they wanted to grab, and she had a she had a whole website of uh, infringement. And I said, well, you know, thankfully we were only being approached by one uh, photography group. But um, I said, you you know, you probably have to just redo your website and make just take it as an opportunity to get all licensed photos. I, and I know that's like extremely painful, but I, I don't know of any way to, to scan a website to see whether or not photos are licensed or not. 
Um, so it's really hard, but, you know, a key point I think is, you know, with your webmasters is to make sure you're putting, number one, make sure you have a written agreement with them, but put it something in there that said, you know, you agree that you represent all the, all the uh, content you're using is either your original content or it's properly licensed and cleared, um, if, and have an indemnification clause. If for some reason I'm sued due to your work or your ears or omissions, then you know you have to indemnify me against any lawsuits and things like that. Because um, there's many cases where it's the webmaster, it's not you know it's not the physician, let's say, um, but you know here you are stuck with you know and it can become a mess, and we have to sometimes settle and then go back to the uh, uh, webmaster to get depends on your relationship but to go back and recoup the the loss so that's that's an important point as well it depends on the size of their pockets too because if the practice that we're talking about is the deeper pocket then the webmaster is a fly-by-night then the chance of recovery certainly goes down but a bigger and more established firm will a have deeper pockets and b likely will have um will have policies in place to prevent you know, infringing material going up on your site. They'll be more, typically would be more educated, the bigger the, the, bigger the site yeah. or, or the bigger the, yeah. uh, the entity. I, I think what's, yeah. what's um, the disconnect that um, many people have, including physicians, is that, look, I'm just one of billions of websites that are out there. How's anybody going to ever find out whether I'm using an infringing photo. They would never know. But with with uh, Google and image search, it's become trivial to be able to see what sites may be using um, a person's copyrighted photos. I mean, all they're doing is taking their image that they know they produced and potentially have a copyright registered with the federal government. They're going into Google and they're just seeing, well, what are the sites that... Uh, that are using this and they go directly to your website and see how it's being used and probably just do an audit and say, well, you're a bigger business than the other one. So I'm going to prioritize. I'm going after you first. And it, it, it comes as a real shock to, to our members. How did they even find me? Well, I found you just using Google. They knew what they were looking for. They just didn't know who was using that particular photo. Yeah. Yeah. You can use uh, Google reverse images. I like Tineye, Tineye.com. You can, I, in fact, before our call today, I uh, had another case and, and I, and I will typically take the photo, put it in a reverse image search and find out, you know, is this a onesie twosie? Um, a lot of times we'll find like 50 instances of a photo um, on all kinds of different websites, and we, our question becomes: Are geez, are these all licensed photos, or do they have 50 more cases to go after? You know, right. so it's really um, it's crazy the, some of the stuff you see, just how much is out there. And I've had people tell me, well, I saw uh, before I used the image, I did a reverse search. There was 500 of them, so I just assumed there was nothing wrong, or they weren't going to come after me because. There's 500 of them out there. I'm not. I'm not worried. So some people will do that to, to you know, kind of get a free photo. Um, there's other photographers that are advertising their photos as free. They're using keywords free, free, hashtag free, free photo, free this, free that. And if you don't read 
carefully what free means, many times you'll find free for personal use, you know, and, and so your commercial use then becomes an infringement. So there's a lot of, a lot of things like that. Uh, to me, it's easier just to get a stock photo site, um, just to manage your needs. And, and uh, there are sites that will offer like an indemnification if for some reason you're sued because of their photo, uh, they'll indemnify you. So I, I always think the best way to do it, unless you're creating content, which is absolutely the best, if you mm -hmm. can create your own content, um, you know, stock photos, I think, are a good way to go. But there's a lot of lot of things we see with Creative Commons and freebies. And you, you go if you if you don't drill down on the website and read all the fine print, uh, you're setting yourself up for a copyright claim. And that happens a lot. One of the things that I saw with this letter that I I shared with you was that, well, it included the registered copyright of the federal government, but it didn't actually. I mean, it, it, they sent a picture, but when I tried to check with the Library of Congress, looking to see whether this particular photo um, or cartoon image was what was registered, I got lost. So I individually could not locate the photo stored with the Library of Congress just to connect the dots and confirm that the image in question was that which was registered. Uh, put a different way, I was just trying to check and see whether the, you know, the copyright that they said that they had was based on the same image. Is there a way to do that? Because the the description, of the copyright, just it was just a text description of the picture of the image. Yeah, that is a that is a common uh, problem. Like I said, because they register the photos in groups. And when you get the registration sent to you in the in the initial packet or whatever you get email, um, it's it's typically not going to have the photo uh, deposit the deposit that goes with the copyright office when you file for your registration. So you're left in this position where you you can ask the attorney uh, opposing counsel, hey, I I need the photo so I can show my client, and they say they will usually say. Oh, well, you'll get that if we end up in litigation. We'll make sure we get you that in litigation. So uh, there are ways you can you can contact the copyright office for a fee. And I'm not sure the fee or how fast you're going to get it. But there are ways if you give them the registration number and say, I, I would like a copy of all the photos that were deposited. Um, there is a way to get that. But, um, you know, I know it. It costs money, and if you want to expedite it because you're getting a lot of pressure, it can be tough to to get it quick. That's my understanding. It is the federal government, so we should just assume that everything moves at a quick pace. Is that right, or are my assumptions? Well, right? I would say a, a medium, medium to medium slow pace. <laughs> uh, medium to slow, but, uh, as, measured in months to years, as opposed to uh, minutes to days. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like a trademark registration will take you about, you know, six months to get things like that. But um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's uh, is what it is, is what it is. The fine print that you talked about really does matter. Um, I've seen a case where um, the image itself was on Creative Commons, and most people think that it's public domain. Anybody can use it if it's on Creative Commons. But the license for Creative Commons, I, I guess, varies depending upon 
how you're going to use it. In this particular case, it said that you, as a, at a minimum, must give attribution to the creator of the image, and failure to do so would constitute infringement. And I mean, that's a tiny little, tiny little term in five-point font, but I think I've seen that um, in an allegation saying you did, you know, it is free for use as long as you give attribution, you fail to give attribution, you owe us some money. And yeah. it seems so sneaky, but uh, that is the way of the world. You have to follow the terms of the license to, to be free of allegation of infringement. Yeah, and that's a big thing. And you can find them off Google or most search engines will have some sort of photo uh, deal where you can go and usually there's a little notice that says, you know, beware of, beware of copyright. That was not always the case, but uh, most of them do have that now. And they, yeah, the uh, photographer wants attribution and a link, usually a link to their website so they can, they're giving you the photo, but they're maybe opening up their portfolio for others to see. So, uh, but yeah, if you don't, uh, and it's really a pain and this is why I kind of recommend you can do it. Um, but you got to make sure you click through, you go through the, you know, the, the key areas of the website. And to be honest, I would even screenshot it. If you really want to use the photos, screenshot it. So if it changes, somebody doesn't try to say, Hey, you know, you, you, you didn't, you know, so you want to protect yourself. I would screenshot it if I was going to use it, get the terms. Is it commercial, non-commercial? Do I have to do a link? Is there some certain type of attribution I have to give? So it can be a lot of work to get it, but it, you know, if it's the, the right photo and, and somebody has it, it may be worth it to you. So, uh, but yeah, if you don't do it, uh, they will consider it a copyright infringement. Uh, sometimes uh, it would be, people will argue it's more of a, uh, a breach of a license, more of a contract, which would mm -hmm. uh, probably be better in your favor if it was a contract, but you know, there's case law that says it, it's, can be deemed copyright infringement. So, and again, that takes you back to the statutory damages and the attorney fees and, and uh, something you don't always get with contract law. You're making the strongest of possible cases to develop a relationship with a photo sharing site or, or a site that keeps stock photos and you just purchase a license for them. I mean, I'm a believer in that only because you've eliminated so much of the worry. Uh, do it yourself here is a is a minefield for the unwary um, that are out mm -hmm. there. Yeah, and and sometimes it's attractive. People will be surfing the web and they'll say, "Oh, that's the perfect photo for my website," and it just uh, you know I don't have the time. Who's going to see it? Um, you know, it's you know, somebody approaches me. You know, maybe maybe it's a fifty dollar licensing fee, but you know I think it's wise to think twice about that and and. Uh, and again, with your webmasters, a lot of this, a lot of this is low cost webmasters and they may not be trained in, in intellectual property or copyright and, you know, too much of a, a deeper level. And that that's, causes a lot of problems as well. And, and copyright cuts two ways. Uh, so we had one client who had some before and after photos of the, he's a facial plastic surgeon, does very excellent work, and he is patients had given him authorization to post some before and after photos, as many plastic surgeons have um, on their websites. And apparently, uh, a malicious actor um, took copies of these photos and 
made a YouTube video just mocking these patients, you know, mercilessly. And it was it's something certainly these patients never signed up for, and they were very upset. You know, they were people that um, thought the public should be able to be educated by what their process is like, the before and after. And uh, the argument was made to YouTube that these were copyright protected photos, please take it down. And they never, you know, they never said, well, it's a parody or there's something artistic. YouTube ultimately did take it down. And and so my point is, is that while it sounds like copyright infringement is a, a problem for many of our physicians, it's also a solution, um, meaning that owning the copyright actually can solve many problems for you. It doesn't just create problems, it solves problems for you. Uh, yes, excellent point, yes. And so, yeah, it can be a, a shield or a sword, and having a copyright is, is one good way to get just about any site to take down a photo. Now, there's a, there's a notification and counter-notification process, but a lot of times sending the DMCA to, to the website, that's gonna probably cure your problem. Now, if somebody really wants to say, hey, I was just mocking, it's fair use, I don't make any money other than you know a, a couple dollars I monetize with, you know, you may, you may have to, to fight that battle, but you know, most people are going to, with a, uh, a legal type of letter, let's say, they're going to say, okay, well, I guess I should probably pull that down. But for, to the to the physician, I would say making sure that in your um, your consent forms that it's informed consent that it's you know that from time to time somebody may put this on the web, but we do uh, actively pursue takedowns and this and that you know uh, an informed consent type of deal. But that's just a um, as you know, I can't give legal advice on these shows, but just my general general uh, two cents. We're, we're educating. And the final educational path I want you to um, shed some light on, and this is a to-do list for all of the listeners, is that my understanding is that there needs to be some type of DMCA. DMCA stands for Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and it provides a number of potential protections for you on your own website but you have to register in some capacity with the federal government. I think it's it's just a, a few dollars, like probably less than ten dollars, uh, to do so. But nobody knows what it is. And I think if you can just guide people on whether it's worth doing and what type of benefits you get by virtue of being the agent, if you will, for your website. Well, they're best for uh, companies that are are hosting third-party content. Mm. Um, and so, for example, eBay, Amazon, uh, all kinds of websites, Etsy, that allow third parties to come on and post things. If you have a, like, I have a personal law firm website, but I don't have a DMCA agent. You know, I don't have people posting on my website. There's no, there's no, it's when you have the third party content that you would definitely want to get a registration. Um, which is a DMCA agent, and it's you're right. It's not expensive. Um, it, it's based on how many domains you want to register at once, and and I, I believe it's under a hundred dollars. Let's put it that way. But I think for most of your physicians, if if people are not um, that you don't allow third parties to post things, um, that's where the DMCA gives you the safe harbor. It's for companies like that, Facebook. 
YouTube, all these companies have uh, DMC takedown agents. And you can even go to the copyright office and see the, the different uh, companies that have agents. And um, now I don't know if you, if you don't actually need it and you try to apply, I don't know if there's a mechanism to say, hey, you really don't need this. I don't think there is. But uh, so in other words, you could maybe pay and have an agent and actually not need it. And maybe the law actually doesn't apply to you, but um, you know, maybe it would uh, deter somebody or maybe it would help you keep out of a problem that I don't know. But uh, usually the, you'll see the DMCA takedowns on these sites that host other people's content. I mean, so many, so many sites now have user generated content, including comments. Um, and while yeah, many comments yeah. are just text commentary, just saying, I, I think you're great, or I don't think you're great. But if they're putting in um, third-party content that may be copyright protected, it may be something that you would want to take advantage of. It really, I guess it depends upon how. Oh, yeah, for the price. The for the used. price, absolutely. Steve, this has been a whirlwind tour of copyright. You did not disappoint. <laughs> and um, before we go, I got to hear about your your initial um your initial uh, experience with the Cincinnati Reds organization. You went from being a baseball player to an attorney, and that's quite a, I would say that's quite a change, but just just spend the <laughs> two minutes before we close just saying what it was like being a baseball player. Oh, sure. Well, that was my, uh, my childhood dream, and I pursued it, blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, that's all I cared about. I focused, you know, my, my days, my nights. I watched every game that was on TV. So, yeah, I wanted to be a baseball player, and um, I finally worked my way up to Fresno State Division One, which was a big deal for me because a lot of people weren't giving me those opportunities. I went on as a walk-on. I ended up as uh, ended up uh, in their Hall of Fame, Fresno State Baseball Hall of Fame, which is great. Uh, I was drafted by Cincinnati Reds and uh, 13th round as a catcher, and uh, also played third base. So I ended up uh, kind of platooning at both positions. Mm -hmm. And I loved every minute of it. And, uh, you know, I think I played till I was about 25. And then just, you know, little things. Uh, you know, I, was, I was not, I was, my numbers were diminishing the last year. Injuries were increasing. At some point, you, you kind of look at the writing on the wall and you say, you know, do I want to keep pushing it or do I want to you know, maybe start thinking about a, a, a second career here. So sometimes I tell people, well, I always loved kangaroo court that we had in baseball. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll go be a lawyer, <laughs> but uh, no, it was a time of my life. And uh, you know, I got my, uh, I have my story online if anybody wants to see it, but I have my cup of coffee story where I got to play in one big league game, spring training, one of the last games and uh, in my last year. So I kind of felt like I got my fulfillment. I would have loved to play longer term, but uh, uh, there's nothing like baseball, and and uh, it's still in my blood. It's something you never get rid of. Yeah, but I try to translate that into the law practice. Well, listen, uh, Steve, how do people get in touch with you? What's your website, and what's the easiest way to get in touch? Yeah, the easiest way is just go to attorneysteve.com. That's attorneysteve.com. Try to make it simple, um, easier than uh, – my last name, uh, Vondren, but uh, attorneysteve.com, you'll find what you need. There's a form submission if you want to just email or uh, our numbers prominently displayed. Thanks so much for being generous with your time today. We'll have your contact information in our show notes, but we very much appreciate you 
coming on board and educating our listeners. Thanks again. Well, thank you, Jeff, for having us and good luck to you guys. I love what you guys are doing and, and keep up the good work. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.